0: Phil Kesslin first became interested in technology in the eighth grade, and he saw computers as a great escape with interesting challenges. He never lost that passion, and today he is the CTO of Niantic, the lab behind the game that broke the internet, Pokemon Go. In this interview, Phil and Ian go through the painful launch of Pokemon Go, and discuss how Niantic was able to scale its systems when the game was massively more popular than anyone anticipated. Plus, Phil details what he loves most about augmented reality, which is its ability to open up new avenues of discovery in the real world by getting people up, active, and engaged in what is happening around them. Enjoy this interview. This podcast is sponsored by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash buildmobileapps.
1: Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org, and we are in a secret but not so secret location <laughs> here in Sunnyvale, California. Phil, how's it going?
2: It's going pretty good. I don't know how secret will be when a train goes by.
1: Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Um, so we are going to get into all things gaming today, a little bit about your background, and how you became CTO, um, and some of the things that you're working on. But first, how'd you get into technology?
2: Uh, probably eighth grade. Uh, some friends of mine, their dad bought a Commodore PET, I just remember that little rectangular keyboard, and uh, just playing around with that, I wrote my first assembly language program, translated his uh, Star Wars game into uh, something that would run on the Commodore. That was kind of my first effort. My dad went out and bought a Commodore 64 and a VIC-20 and a Commodore 128 like the total Commodore house, had a Fairchild gaming machine. I just thought it was fun to play with. It was great escape, being a shy kid who didn't really spend much time with other people. Interesting challenges. So,
1: Do you think, you know, flashing forward to, you know, your current role, tell us about like what technology looks like and what it's kind of like to be the the labs behind, uh, you know, some of the most popular, you know, games in recent memory with, Pokemon Go obviously being the absolute smash hit that it was. Mm, what does technology look like?
2: That's a very broad question. <laughs> I think for the company, technology is a, is a tool to motivate people to... I mean, we have, a, we have this mission for our company. is sort of my guidepost. is finding ways to get people outside, exploring the world around them, get yeah. a little exercise and doing it in the company of other people. And for me, finding finding ways to get technology to create that motivation is really the key for what I want to do. And hopefully what the people in this company wanna do as well.
1: What was the second part of your question? Yeah, I mean, just what does like what does your team look like? What is the roles and responsibilities of CTO look like? Are you working in house? Are you working on product? Are you working on a bit of both? Um
2: a little bit of everything. My role in a company is to run the engineering organization for most of the company. We do have a a studio in Los Angeles with Seismic Games that we acquired last year, but all the rest of the engineering organization reports into me. That covers everything from, you know, corporate security, production security, game development, infrastructure for games, uh, the whole AR platform, and the real world platform. For me, that's pretty much everything.
1: So, there are some really cool uses of AR and VR out there. And I would say, you know, I mean, I, I guess I, should, I could pop this over to you. I'd say one of the most, if not the most successful pieces of technology leveraging this of all time at this point was Pokemon Go, the most mass adopted mm-hmm. um, use of this technology. How do you see like the current state of AR and VR and, and kind of how you all are helping to really like shepherd this um this extremely huge, you know, kind of seismic shift in, in how we can leverage technology, especially to be outdoors, which is something a lot of people have not tried to do in the past, and that's really exciting. Right. So I'm not a big fan of VR. It's just my nature. <laughs> I just
2: don't like it that much. Um, I was around, I was working at Silicon Graphics when the first VR wave happened and watched it fizzle out. Yeah. It just wasn't compelling enough. I mean, compute has caught up to the point where you can make something that seems a little more real, but it's still not real enough, uh, which is why, at least for me, I've never really been a fan. I just think that when you look outside, people, people talk about taking away the real world and replacing it with something different. I think the real world is a pretty magical place, so I'd rather let that come through. So AR has always been kind of the area that made the most sense. For us, I think the AR piece is uh, less about... You know, pasting advertising all over the place. It's more about creating a delightful experience that, again, motivates people to get outside and really explore the world around them. Well, I know that getting people off the couch is a hard thing to do. Yeah. (laughs) One of the most surprising things, and the thing that actually really touched me the most, was after we launched Pokemon Go, seeing people walk around my neighborhood, whole families, instead of, you know, camping out in front of the television or the kids going off and doing something different, they, they actually got together, walked around for an hour, hour and a half, every single night for months. And that was that was awesome. Seeing kids in the playground again, that was something I hadn't seen in a long time. And that was that was great. That was I guess we did a pretty good job at motivating people to get outside. The state of AR, I think it's got a long way to go to really create that unobtrusive. Type of uh, experience that I think people really want, but I think it's coming, and I just want to make sure that this company's ready for for that particular
1: type of experience when it does arrive. You spent some time at at some really cool kind of classic Silicon Valley companies. You mentioned, you know, SGI. Um, you spent time at NVIDIA, at Google. This current kind of iteration as CTO. Do you feel like, you know, having this team that is working on this problem that, you know, there's a lot of people, I think, working on AR, but that you've already have this first hit that you've seen, you have tons of data on this, you have tons of like user behavior, uh, or or I mean, I guess you could say, maybe maybe not as much as, as other folks do. But what is the challenge here versus like, how how excited are you to Push the limits of what's possible with all of this technology.
2: The, the hardest one for us is really creating an engaging experience for people. Yeah, and uh, you know we have the technological challenges with getting you know AR out the door, building on our AR cloud roadmap. Those are technological challenges. But in the end, if the if you don't create a compelling experience that gets people outside, then it really doesn't matter. You know, you spend all this energy and effort trying to create something that's really special. And if people don't think it's that special,
1: then everything you did is kind of moot. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that was so interesting to me about Pokemon Go was this idea that you're taking something that a generation of people already loved. It had a show. It had obviously the cards. It had this kind of culture around it. But it also like those people wanted it to reach their children they wanted it to reach the next generation and this like i saw my nephew for example who loves pokemon go and we would we would play with him and now he has a ton of pokemon cards like he didn't used to have that stuff and right. now he does and now he is engaged with this in this world in a new way and like you said with the world around him and playing with his friends and talking about it at, we were just at a family event and he was talking about, it. he brought all of his cards, mm-hmm. he lost one of the cards and he was like, you know, devastated. We had to search the whole house, like cl- classic. Uh, it was like under a rug. But, um, <laughs> but I think like that's, that's what you all have done with Pokemon Go, I think is, is so innovative in many ways, but it's the way that like technology actually can bring stories and worlds to everyone. Is there kind of that sense that like with the next things that you're working on, that, you know, you have a Harry Potter game coming out soon, that these worlds of passionate fans that get to share this experience and like add on to the story, Mm -hmm. like add on to these experiences. Is that something that, you know, obviously you put a lot of thought into, but is that just kind of like empowering for the team to say like, hey, we can we can build this stuff in a way that has never been done before?
2: Um, Yeah, it, it really is. I would say that the the team that built Pokemon Go and the people that are working on new features for it today are passionate Pokemon Go fans. Yeah. You can see it. Actually, I wouldn't be surprised if you walked out of this office um, at the end of this meeting and noticed that the, the vast number of people are outside playing our game. Yeah. It's, in fact, I can see them out there right now. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <that's right laughs> out the window. I mean, it's it's really... The people here really love the things that they're producing. They care about the the story behind the game that they've created. It's it's great having a group of people that are that passionate
1: about the things that they're building and the impact that they have on people's lives. So what about like, you know, with Harry Potter coming out soon? I know you can't share too much about it, but you know, developing something on the Harry Potter universe, which is so vast. And J.K. Ryan, you know, you have the next set of films that are that are, you know, Fantastic Beasts and this genius and in J.K. Rowling that created this world. And now you get to serve this to fans in a new way with tons of innovation. Like, what are some of the things that you can share about about Harry Potter or, or some stuff for for the fans out there listening?
2: Um, I, w- when we took the same approach that we took with Pokemon Go, that is, we wanted to create an experience or wanted to work on an experience that reflected the story that that we're trying to capture. So the gameplay embodies of a lot of the lore mm-hmm. that exists in the Harry Potter universe. It's probably more encompassing than just the Harry Potter stories. But it, it, the gameplay, some people will look at it and they'll think that, oh, it looks like Pokemon Go. But there are there's a depth to this new game that didn't exist and doesn't exist in Pokemon Go. And uh, it should be different. should uh, rest in the hearts of the players that love that particular franchise. So I think it'll be different enough that it'll be that it'll be very compelling. I guess, like I told you earlier, my wife is a really big player of it and um, she likes both universes and the fact that she's Constantly telling me
1: ways to improve it is a pretty good indication of her level of engagement. Yeah, the spouse test. The uh, spouse test. We do that. Uh, we do that all the time with our different shows, where it's like we'll we'll play the pilots for our significant others or whatever at, at mission. And when they're like, "Yeah, it's okay," it's like, "All right, going back to the drawing board." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> guess we're not. Guess we're not uh, using that story or whatever. What are some of those like launch challenges? Like, I think a lot of you know technologies <laughs> that listen to. Uh, the show talk about product launches or they talk about, you know, internal implementations or things like that. What are some of the things that you saw that you kind of didn't expect that you were going to run into with some of these things, which are, you know, a bug that reaches (laughs) millions of people that want something in real time where you're going to hear about it uh, right away?
2: Well, uh, the the launch of Pokemon Go is probably the, and uh, people have probably heard this story many times before, but the but the, the backstory behind that was we'd, we'd been working on Pokemon Go for probably about a year before we spun out of Google. And then we launched it nine months later. We were a team of maybe 50. The whole company was about 50 people, yeah. 50, 60 people at the time. The server engineering team had four people working on it, including their manager, not including me. I didn't think I really helped that much. But, <laughs> um, but we launched it. We thought we'd done everything right we taken a look at existing MMOs, which sort of reflected what we were doing, looked at some mobile games, and we took their launch number after 30 or 60 days, which was pretty high, multiplied that number by five and thought we got to something pretty good. And then I remember we launched initially in New Zealand and Australia, which according statistically should have represented about 4% of our total player population. And we were already two and a half times above our expected number, just with that small population. And having conversations about how this was going to go. It's like, well, we have to launch the U.S., we got to do it tomorrow. So we launched the U.S., and that's when uh, all hell broke loose. (laughs) Um, I think if there are any launches where it felt like our hair was constantly on fire, that that was probably it. I mean, we had to scale up a system incredibly fast. We had to get support from Google to give us additional service infrastructure so that we could actually deploy this thing. We got DDoS attacked in the middle of it. Of course. Um, We got, I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. Every time we thought, oh, everything's going to calm down now, we're we're in a good spot, boom, something else would happen. And we just ended up working out, working through all the different little bugs. I remember Ed, who was the manager for the product team, uh, sleeping on the couch, wanting to make sure he was awake when the Japanese came back online, make sure the server didn't blow up. But it took us it took us about about a month before things. I mean, we finally got everything stabilized before the Japan launch, which was two weeks later, and then everything really calmed down after six weeks. So much so that we told the entire team to take a vacation.
1: Oh, that's awesome!
2: And then the Ingress team actually stepped in and helped run the show while they were out, and they definitely needed it. That was very very challenging. It's it's like when, whenever you take something, you know, they, they always tell you every time you. You scale something up by 10X, you encounter a completely different set of problems. Yeah, yeah. well, we did that twice. So um, it, it's kind of a testament to the way we built the system. You know, we focused on keeping our costs down, keeping our performance up, and just squeezing every little bit of performance out of this system as we possibly could. That in and of itself was the thing that allowed us to scale the system the way we needed it to, to support the, the fan base that, that showed up.
1: So what was the reason why you said, uh, well, we got we to go to the U.S. tomorrow. Was it just that it was already growing so fast? or what was we going? No, we
2: already planned. We had already we oh, already okay. told people we were going to launch it oh, on God. the 6th of July. Yeah. So everybody was expecting Pokemon Go to show up. And uh, if we missed it, that would have been pretty bad. I mean, nothing was broken. When we launched it in Australia and New Zealand, everything was functioning fine. We knew we were going to get much bigger, but we didn't know. We didn't know what kind of problems we would have until
1: we actually launched the U.S., so what was, the, what was that level of, what did that scale look like? I mean, was that, I mean, and I don't know if you can share numbers at all, but, you know, you're talking about, you thought you were going to launch to X, you know, which is two and a half percent of what the total amount was going to be. And then it went to what? Or what did that look well, like? Well, you
2: said some of the numbers <clears throat> publicly, millions of requests per second, tens of millions of simultaneous active users, and hundreds of millions of monthlies. It was, it was yeah, over the top.
1: <laughs> so how big was the team then and now? How did you decide to, you know, take on additional games and create games? I mean, was this kind of like the the impetus that allowed you to say like, hey, if we can do this, if we can handle this level of volume, if we can do this sort of thing, like kind of what can't we achieve? Or what did that look like? Why additional games? We always wanted to do additional titles. The jerk was finding the
2: ones that wanted to sign up. Yeah. And we had a couple that were already in line. Before we launched Pokemon Go, but we just didn't have enough people to work on them. So we we started Niantic in 2011, and the, kind of the the plan for the organization was to build a platform so that we can build a diverse set of experiences, so that we can motivate as many people to get outside. And with that, we we said, well, what do these things look like? What, what do these experiences need to look like? So we 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 did two explorations. We built Field Trip, which was a uh, information discovery app. Yeah. It's the first first real use of AR in Google Glass that I thought was really a killer application. And we built Ingress and we focused almost entirely on building a game and understanding what what that game needed to look like and nothing about the platform. And we learned a lot. <laughs> we learned we also learned how not to build a <laughs> game. So when we when we started building Pokemon Go, we took everything that we learned from Ingress and we turned it into, we split it out into platform and game. We tried to focus our efforts. And the, the team that worked on that was about seven engineers initially. Wow. When we spun out, I think the team grew to about 12 people. We launched, we continue to add more people. I think the team, I actually don't even know how many people are on that team right now. It's probably in the thirties. But like I said, our, our initial goal was to, Build this platform so we can build lots of different games on top
1: of it yeah
2: and the success of pokemon go meant a lot more people showed up saying we have an idea <laughs> why don't you build a game on top of our pla- on your platform and so we've started exploring a lot of different options there the the hardest part though is building a team to build all those games while trying to remain uh financially disciplined
1: about it yeah absolutely i mean that's where it's like feature creep or or just like shiny new object stuff. And you're like, we can do anything. Yeah. So let's deploy capital in all these different places and like go build. Do you ever feel like with enough money and resources that you kind of would get into that mode where you're like just kind of throwing money wildly at different sort of things and just kind of seeing what works? No, absolutely <laughs> not.
2: Um, I mean, we, we definitely have a certain, I mean, well, John and I have been through John's been through a couple more startups than I have. He and I started Keyhole back in 2000, and we had some pretty rough waters. Yeah. I, mean, I remember going into people's offices and telling me, don't have any money, I can't pay you this month. You know, missing a mortgage payment, that's not fun, right? What we're doing at this company, we, we really want to build out this whole AR infrastructure. That's incredibly risky. I'd rather have a, a nice pile of cash just in case and uh, ensure that the company operates in a fiscally conservative way as long as we can, just in case we do have to make some significant changes. We do have the resources at our disposal so that we can make those changes that we need to make. I think we're just, we're not gonna be as aggressive as most people. Yeah, we could we could throw a lot of money at a lot of different problems, but I'd rather take a little,
1: little slower. Do you think that at times, the creativity and the technology are ever at odds? Like the actual game play and the game making side of things and how those come to life with technology, like with like limitations and stuff like that? Or is it more like both sides are like together or is it the same people working on the exact same thing? Like are your game makers technologists or are your technologists game makers or vice versa?
2: No, they're kind of separate. But I think there's a, a healthy tension between the 2 Mm-hmm. It's interesting that the AR feature in Pokemon Go actually grew out of a a change that was made in the infrastructure that John the CEO thought that our compass was screwed up. Um it didn't point in the right direction most of the time or the where where you were currently located was was kind of messed up. So one of the engineers rewrote the pointing logic. And when he did that, it enabled Enabled us to use the camera, which we hadn't done before. We thought it was never going to work because the phones didn't actually do it properly. And one day, one of our tech artists came in and turned the camera on and implemented a little battle scene. And it was remarkable. And we saw it, it was like, okay, we got to put this in. So I think that that was, it was, it's like a healthy, yeah. The art the, team wants to take it in the direction, the product team wants to take it in the direction. Technology doesn't currently support it. We ended up pushing the technology in order to support that. And then it enables a brand new class of features. So for us, it's, it's more about communicating across the different parts of the organization so that design wants to push technology. Technology wants to deliver on new features that the games actually need. And some of the challenges we face are actually pretty, can feel overwhelming at times. Yeah. And we did the Neon demo. I don't know if you've seen that. No, it's, a, I haven't. it's a shared multiplayer game uh, that we built for a demo, demo day last year. There's a whole lot of technology that sits underneath the hood in that thing. It just makes it look effortless. And in the course of about two to three weeks, the design team was able, able to take that core technology and turn it into a demo that's actually really it's fun to
1: watch and fun to play. Yeah, that's super exciting. I mean, the idea that you could take this piece of technology, what could you build into a game for that? Like, what type of things could you add to this?
2: For us, though, it's it's we, we try to think about ways, like I said, almost sound like I harp on this a lot, but our (laughs) mission is our driver, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So what can you do to motivate people? What are the things that really make people excited to do these things? And social gameplay is fun. yeah. And if you can create an experience where the experience is shared with multiple people, it's even more fun. So Neon is like AR dodgeball. You're running around picking up little essentially orbs of energy off the floor and you're shooting them at other people. Oh, that's so cool. And that's, that's really the gameplay and everybody's seeing the same scene. They're, they're, they're moving around the space, running around the space,
1: trying to lob these balls at each other. And it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, one of the things that we talk about a lot at mission is this idea of like, you know, the audio component to, you know, like that, that Mm. audio content is augmented reality, right? Because it is, augmenting what you're seeing um, in a way that, you know, video doesn't do that. What does that sort of stuff look like? Like, what, how do you, how do you, and I don't know how much you you are thinking about this, but like, how does audio play into the storytelling and the teaching and the depth that some of this stuff can get to where someone is out in the real world with their friends, doing these things, seeing these things, and then hearing something else? Like, how does, how does that evolve over time?
2: Um, We started thinking about audio back in the Ingress days, just walking through the city, thinking about interesting ways that you could make this game more exciting. And the backstory for Ingress is it's secret agents and aliens and people trying to work against a, a common enemy. And we were ta- walking through the streets thinking, Oh, you know, if we could do like text to speech, you yeah. your phone rings and you pick up the phone. There's a, person on either side who's telling you to do something. And what, what can we do with the phone? You know, don't, don't look around. And I told you not to do that because you're sensing the phone moving around. Just recently we did um, a little technology demonstration in Tokyo and one of the individuals in Japan had this little megaphone system built and the phone would slide into a little slot, put the headphones on and, and you could point it. And based upon the location that the phone was pointing you get sounds of pokemon in the oh wow that's cool and the closer you got the sound got louder until the pokemon actually popped out and then you get the sound of the pokemon and the videos that i've seen of children playing it were just just watching their eyes light up when they saw it it was just great you'd see the pokemon in the screen on the phone but the the magic was in the you know oh i don't hear it over here it's like hear it over here let me go this way And you watch these kids walking around with these little megaphones. It was was great.
1: I love the idea. It almost feels to me like the, like a magnifying glass. Yeah. It's like, you're, you know, you're on the hunt. What was that? There's some children's book where, you know, I think it's a little girl and she's walking around with a magnifying glass. But that idea of like, that there are things hidden all around. Mm -hmm. I think that that's one of the things that's just so revolutionary about this game. uh, And all of the things that you're building is that there's secrets everywhere Mm -hmm. and that you get to go find them and that you have your abilities and your curiosity is yep. what brings that stuff to you. And is so exciting. And like you said, that it helps you explore areas that aren't places you necessarily would go places mm-hmm. in a city or places, you know, off the beaten path. Do you think that as this develops, as this kind of world develops or this world building develops, are there ways to add the educational elements into this. Like, you know, we talk a lot about accelerated learning admission, but this idea that if this gamification is so much more memorable mm-hmm. and couldn't we use this stuff for educational purposes in, in some form or fashion? I don't know if you're working sure. on that, but well, one of the things we
2: do in the games today is there there are no virtual locations. They're all tied to something real, yeah. That's something memorable. When we were first working on Ingress, John had this idea to use the panoramia database to source public art sculptures and stuff we built our first portal database around google the google campus in mountain view yeah i just remember walking around campus and oh my gosh i've never seen that sculpture before yeah and i've walked by it probably 150 times and discovering that there were these fascinating artworks that were populated all around the place there are hundreds of them the oreo the oreo well some of these are even just more innocuous, they yeah. just blend in. And once you discover them, you, you kind of find this little magic. San Francisco is pretty cool, because there's a lot of these things tucked away in little courtyards that you would never think to walk through. And so the game pulls you in. So you can discover these new and novel creations that people have deposited in these places. So for us, it's, it's not just giving you the the artifact that you find in that location, but giving you some backstory. That goes along with it. Like I said, field trip was about was about conveying information, the hidden information in the world around you. The name Niantic came from that. It's the name of a whaling ship. It was buried underneath the Transamerica Tower. There's oh, a I whole didn't know that. History of these whaling ships that came into the San Francisco Bay during the Gold Rush, and the crews head up to the mountains, and they don't have a crew to sail them out, so they turn them into living quarters and bars and you know whatever they could turn them into. Um, and then they eventually got shoveled under loads of land when they tried to expand the essentially the financial district in San Francisco. But just things like shell mounds, I never knew about shell mounds. If you drive around, drive up 880, you'll see, I think there's one oyster point or oyster mound or shell mound something. Every single one of those is a shell mound that was created by Native Americans who used to eat mollusks as a primary source of food. You just never knew that. Yep. It's just all that little hidden, hidden information that was, um, so finding ways to surface that is something we definitely, cause we want, when you're exploring the world, you're not looking just for something that's artificial. We also
1: want you to combine that with something that's real so that you learn something about the place that you live. And it's funny you say that. So we, in one of our podcasts, Future Cities, we did a bunch of research on, um, basically like the gold rush and how like this area in California is is so interesting for a lot of reasons, but people forget that like, yeah, that basically, you know, there were ships that were, you know, it said that there were ships that were covering the whole bay that you could walk from San Francisco to Oakland, like across these, all of these different, I never knew that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you know, it's kind of like one of those, one of those things, but yeah, there are so many ships, you know, they turned them into boats and all these different or these boats into bars and restaurants, all these sort of things. And then they used all the wood from all these ships to build San Francisco. Yep. And then San Francisco burned half of the ground. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then they cut, you know, cut down all the redwoods and then built San Francisco again. But this idea that like that type of experience that like that human condition that we go through, that, that doesn't mean that that's the end of the story. It's like, yeah. you can replant the redwoods. You can do so, you know, you can have an impact beyond those sort of things. And I, I just think that, You know, one of the cool things, especially if you go to like Mirror Woods or these sort of places, and they have these little plaques everywhere, you know, like the best places that you went, there's these little plaques all over that help tell the story of where you are. Well, now with AR, you can have crowdsourced information. You can have all these things. You could have curated walks and talks Mm -hmm. and different sort of things around these, and you find different things. Like, I just think that that's so fun and inviting and for children, to be able to learn in those ways that a field trip Mm -hmm. could be something that is just so different and unique now. And it's cool to, you know, think about that. And ultimately that technologists are the ones making it. I think Mm -hmm. that's another thing, you know, you have a bunch of work that you do with developers, you, you put on a developer contest. How do you feel like, how do you approach your engineers and engineers like outside of the organization to like empower them to, to create great things?
2: We haven't really done it much outside the company. We have a couple of third parties that are actually doing development. I think I should take this back to you know what our real-world platform really is. Most people see it, and they see this. We have this diagram that we, we've drawn and shown in different conferences. It's a really complicated picture of software technology. The one thing that it doesn't capture are two other things that really are designed to make that successful. One is the data about the real world. It really captures the, the experience, the explorer's discovery of new and interesting things that they never knew existed or have an ability to share that with other people. So I can discover something, now I have a way to share it by including it in the games. The other one is, is our experience with what makes for interesting and exciting gameplay. I mean, we've tried a lot of different things. Not everything works. Yeah, And being able to share that with people is also a part of that platform, which is kind of the reason we took the, the tack that we did with being slower at developing games, not just building a platform that we ship out to the rest of the world, because it's difficult to distill that experience and the data in a way that everybody can leverage it in, a, in the most productive way.
1: I mean, it just feels like you have such a command over the experience in a way that no other games like have, you know, you take for example, like Red Dead Redemption two, which is, you know, winning lots, all sorts of game awards, stuff like that is like, you can just tell the level of effort and energy that obviously they put into Mm -hmm. making this world and making sure that, you know, that all the little details are there. How do you kind of develop a similar sense of this customer experience? You know, it's something we talk a lot about on the show about customer experience and for you, I mean, I don't know if you call it CX, but how do you kind of think through that stuff? I mean, it, it seems like obviously everybody here plays, so mm-hmm. that develops a lot of it. But how do you kind of like cultivate this really rich experience that extends like far beyond, like the super fans get just as much out of it as as the casual players?
2: Well, first we start with a mission. <laughs> yeah. I remember when Pokemon Go was being developed, we were talking about the whole AR experience. How do we get Pokemon into the real world. And the product manager for the product, he and I were talking one day. I said, yeah, we want to convey this, this notion that Pokemon exist in the real world. He goes, no, 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 no. Pokemon do exist in the real world. That's, that's, cool. that's the thing you have to believe that they, they do exist. And all we're doing is providing a window into that, that existence. For us, I think we use, we use our players to give us some insight. I mean, the, People that work at this company that play the game, they give us insight. People who play the game that don't work for this company give us insight. They're the ones who are sharing these spots in the world. I mean, all of our entire database of portals slash Pokestops all came from users. They submit the photos. They give us the descriptions. They're reviewed by other players. I mean, all of that is players contributing to the game that they want to play. So... I think we're just trying to include them in the process of building, building an exciting experience that motivates them to get outside and
1: get a little exercise and have some fun with other people. All right, let's do some lightning round questions. These okay. Questions fast and easy, just like the lighting platform from Salesforce. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is most fun other than your all's? I think my, my phone is a utility device, so I don't really have that many fun <laughs> games on it other than the ones we uh, we build. Do you have a favorite podcast or recent book that you've listened to or read? Podcasts that
2: I listen to on a regular basis are, um, are Reed Hoffman's yeah. Masters of Scale.
1: So good. Do you have a favorite vacation spot or one-day getaway in the Bay Area? Uh, I don't like one-day getaways,
2: but... For us, we live in San Jose, so going to San Francisco is usually pretty fun. How about, what do you do for fun? I climb rocks. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Did you watch uh, Free Solo? I have watched Free Solo. I cried at the end. It's, holy <laughs> moly. It's just very emotional for uh, somebody who's who's done some of the routes that he that has been close to the route that he actually climbed, seeing what he's done and knowing the potential impact of him screwing that up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it was very emotional.
1: It was wild. My, my brother-in-law uh, is from New Zealand. He climbs as well. And watching it with him was like watching it with like different eyes. It, you know? Tommy Caldwell said it in the show that uh,
2: people who don't climb watch this and they think, oh, wow. People who do climb and watch this like, holy crap. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. The thing you're most excited about uh, with AR going forward?
2: The opportunity to create truly delightful and magical experiences that that fit with the world around them. You know, being able to walk into a park and have a Pikachu peek out from behind a tree um, and then hide back behind the tree and then run around the park bench in a way that seems very, very realistic, that gets me excited. Last question. What is your best advice for a first-time CTO? Oh. Don't launch Pokemon Go. <laughs> um, best advice, build a great team. And my first time CTO job was at Keyhole. And we had, a, I mean, there's some rough patches in there, aside from running out of money a couple of times. But <laughs> the team that we we built, about four or five of us, was pretty spectacular. We built a, an amazing product in about a year that lives on, and
1: Google Earth so that's pretty wild man well Phil this has been awesome uh, we'll be on the lookout for Harry Potter here very soon super excited for that any other final thoughts or uh, uh, stuff to plug well again yeah, keep your eyes out for Harry Potter and just go
2: outside have some fun out there not sitting on your couch feels a whole lot better I love it thanks so much Yeah, thank you
0: Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash buildmobileapps.